Hello there, folks. This is Eric Senrod and Dwayne Morris, joined by my colleague, Jonathan Armstrong at Quartery. We're bringing your Tech Law 10 weekly podcast where the law and information technology intersect. We're on podcast number 246, moving forward. And Jonathan, I think you've got a fertile topic to discuss today. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, uh, many of the ma- many people have been expecting this news, <laughs> pregnant pause, but the Bounty Pregnancy Club was today fined by the UK Data Protection Regulator. And it's quite a big fine, given it's under the pre-GDPR regime. They were fined £400,000, and that's obviously four-fifths of the pre-GDPR maximum, obviously a GDPR fine would be likely more substantial. So what's this case about? Well, to start off with, in some respects, this is a throwback to the ongoing investigation by the UK data protection regulator into what went on at Facebook. And avid listeners will remember that in August last year, the Information Commissioner's Office fined a similar business called Emma's Diary about £140,000. And they fined them because they collected data from expectant mothers, such as the the mother's name, um, how many children they had in the household, date of birth of the mother and child, etc., And they sold that data to Experian, which was, or or, or they shared that data with Experian, and it was then sold uh, for political campaigning. And in some respects, this bounty case is similar. So uh, what bounty is, is if you are in hospital, for example, and you've just had a child, then sometimes uh, a midwife, sometimes somebody connected with the hospital will come round with a box and in that box there's a sample that there are samples of things like nappies and nappy wipes i think you call them diapers uh baby powder etc etc and obviously most people think that all of that is paid for by the people whose samples are in the boxes you can then go to a uh We'd call it a chemist, you'd call it a drugstore, to pick up a second box. And again, there are vouchers uh, for things inside. So most people knew that Bounty was a what they called a pregnancy club. And most people knew that they were sharing data or sharing information with advertisers. What I guess they didn't know, however, was that a lot more people were seeing that data and by a lot more, I mean, Eric, a lot more. So they shared 34.3 million records from June 27 to April 2018 alone. 34.3 million records. So for a country of ballpark 60 million people, that's an awful lot of records. And they shared those records with some 39 organizations, including marketing organizations like uh, uh, Equifax. And 
Of course, the ICO said that the data that they shared was of what the ICO called potentially vulnerable people, including new mothers and obviously very young children, and by very young, an hour old, two hours old. So the investigator uh, at, at the ICO was obviously very happy, uh, unhappy about all of this. And it's interesting, I think, firstly, that the fine, I think, is relatively high, but probably shows how under the old regime there was a, a difference. You know, if you compare the um, fines that Google have got more recently with, with this fine, it does look to be a small amount. But I think in part why it's a small amount is because Bounty have also committed to re-engineering their business. Now, under mm -hmm. GDPR, as under the old legislation, transparency is a key element. I still think most of the cases that we're going to see post-GDPR will be security-related. These cases are perhaps somewhat of the exception rather than the rule because they spin out of this big investigation into Cambridge Analytica. But at the same time, it shows that regulators are not just interested in security, and GDPR isn't just interested in security. If you are going to take somebody's data, even if it's an overt commercial purpose to share it with advertisers, and you then share it with somebody else, then you're going to have to be very transparent, upfront, and open about that. And of course, you're going to have to be even more transparent, upfront, and open when people are in a vulnerable position, you know, when they're literally mm -hmm. lying on their back in a, in a hospital bed. And uh, it seems that Bounty's managing director has understood that. He's apologized for what went on. He said, we did not take a broad enough view of our responsibilities. Um, we weren't robust enough. He says that they ha now keep far less data and they share it with less people. They say that they've terminated all of their relationships with data brokers. They've gone through a comprehensive training program, they say, to comply with the legislation. I know that some hospitals have um, refused uh, bounty access to their premises. Um, and in addition, they said that they are going to appoint an independent data expert to monitor them. And so that will be uh, a review every year. Now, we've seen a couple of clients do that on a voluntary basis where they're handling a lot of data. And as you know, I think, Eric, we've been over to the U.S., a far-flung part of the U.S., to do that sort of exercise for a client who wanted assurance rather than them having already had an incident. But I think that's perhaps one significant element of this case aside from the fine that, that Bounty are committing not only to improving their practices, but to having somebody independent look at them every year and report back on whether the promises they're making are mm -hmm. those that they're following. And we've seen this in the FCPA agenda, uh, uh, arena, the Bribery Act arena, where oftentimes the impact of having a, a monitor or an audit in place is far greater than the fine itself. So I think as a result, it's a, it's a significant case and one that shows that GDPR just ain't just about security. <laughs> it, uh, 
I love your use of words, nappy wipes. That one I have not heard before. Yes, we call them, if I'm getting it right, we call them diapers over here. Uh, but this yeah. is really an interesting case example. Um, and it really reminds me of the point, you know, long ago and far away when the Internet was first emerging as a commercial medium, I was working with and representing uh, emerging companies, some of which became quite large tech companies out of Silicon Valley. And I was telling them at the get-go, that's one of our expressions, Jonathan, at the get-go, yeah. at the start, that, uh, you know, good privacy slash security is going to ultimately become good business for you because we would encounter some resistance at times because to put measures in place to protect data, you know, there is some cost and effort related to that. And when you're just starting out as an emerging company, you don't have a lot to spend. Um, and this wasn't always viewed as mission critical to some of these companies. But I think the proof has been uh, borne out that good privacy slash security ultimately does become good business. Uh, it enhances the brand and actually, you know, spending some money on the front end to protect data uh, saves so much money on the back end if you can prevent problems uh, in terms of hacks that need to be remediated and it's basically your brand needing to be rehabilitated in terms of, of your image. And I think this is an interesting case example that, that you point out and you've gone through the elements as, as to why it's a good case example, especially having this independent party put in place to make sure that not only are promises given um, on the front end once the problem uh, has emerged and you know, come to light, but also to assure that those promises are being kept. Um, and this reminds me of when I was counseling companies on how to build their, their privacy policies. And they would say, hey, listen, let's get the most robust platinum uh, uh, privacy policy imaginable out there with all sorts of assurances and guarantees so we can make our consumers feel good and let's slap it onto our website. And I said, listen, you know, do not make any promise you cannot keep. Uh, yeah. Make sure that your promises are tailored to what you're actually going to deliver because if you make promises you can't keep, you're going to find yourself in the crosshairs of the Federal Trade Commission, uh, perhaps uh, plaintiff class action attorneys, and state attorneys general. Uh, so it's very important to make promises to uh, create well-being for your consumers with respect to their private data, but then you have to fulfill on those promises. And if you can do both, you're going to go a long way. Um, any final thoughts, Jonathan? Uh, any nappy wipes to clean up the situation? <laughs> no, well, uh, no, good points well made, and uh, I'm sure that we're going to see more of these cases as this uh, investigation continues. My suspicion is that Emma's Diary and Bounty aren't the only two that have been uh, at this type of practice. Yeah. All right. Well, good topic. Uh, thank you for sharing. We look forward to uh, getting further ideas from you uh, listeners in terms of topics you want us to cover going forward. Uh, you can reach me, Eric Sinrod, at ejsinrod at duanemorris.com. You can find us on all the usual social media outlets. And, Jonathan, you always get the last word. Thanks very much, Eric. Jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. If anyone wants a copy of the ICO's findings and details, just shoot me an email and I'll send them through. Do connect with us on LinkedIn or however else you choose and all that remains is to thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again in a week or so cheers 